Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Jenny Romer will join us to discuss, can I recycle this? So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, recycling, good for the environment, good for our community, but just exactly what can we recycle? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Ms. Jenny Romer. Ms. Romer is a legal associate for the Surfrider Foundation's Plastic Pollution Initiative, and she's helped author plastic bag bans in California and New York. She has, together with illustrator Christy Young, put together the book, Can I Recycle This? A Guide to Better Recycling and how to reduce single-use plastics. Ms. Romer, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks for having me. What exactly can I recycle? I'm curious, why did you decide to put the book together? Well, I've been working on single-use plastic reduction policy, particularly plastic bag reduction laws, that's what I'm known for, for over a decade. And I've learned a ton about the recycling process of doing that. And so I felt like an illustrated book was really a good way to get across all of this like somewhat wonky information that I've learned along the way. Besides putting the items into their uh, recycling bin, might not think about the whole process that's involved. What is it, do you think, are common misconceptions about the process? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating process. And I say wonky just because there are so many different parts of it um, that very few people really understand the whole process of recycling. And so I kind of set about on a journey to figure it out. And a lot of what I learned was based on trying to refute the plastics industry's arguments, saying that plastic bags are recyclable, which they aren't. Plastic bags are actually a big tangler for a lot of curbside recycling programs because they get caught in the gears of machinery. So I really look at not just what you can put in your bin, because that does vary by jurisdiction, but I look at what happens next. So I look at a three-step process what the Federal Trade Commission issued to determine whether companies can market something as recyclable. So it needs to be collected in the majority of jurisdictions, it needs to be sorted by existing machinery, and then it needs to have a sufficient market demand to be sold on the commodities market, to be manufactured into something else. And I think that's really not how people think about recycling right now. People just think oh, I can, I'll put it in my recycling bin and kind of hope it gets recycled. But really, there is a lot of nuance. And so I try to get across a lot of that information in the book in a fun way to really help people understand what happens next. I recall the term wish cycling. Yeah, and that's something where people put something in their recycling bin, either really knowing that their jurisdiction says don't put this in your recycling bin or not really being sure. Um, and people will, you know, stand at their bin, recycling bin, and decide, deciding whether to put something in the trash or recycling, and put it in their recycling, kind of just hoping that it gets turned into something else, wishing that it, wishing that it will. And so that can be pretty harmful to our recycling system in some cases. So things like plastic bags or other tanglers like garden hoses or extension cords, 
those, if you wish cycle those, that's a big problem. And especially lithium ion batteries, like rechargeable batteries can cause explosions and fires at recycling facilities. So one big take home from the book is to follow your local rules, only give your jurisdiction, your local recycling center, what they're asking for, especially things like tanglers or batteries. It's, it's a lot on the consumer, the individual to sort of sort all of this out. I mean, the point has been made that a major advertiser for recycling has actually been industry pushing off the responsibility on the consumer. Shouldn't a lot of the, the onus be on the manufacturers to actually make items with things that actually can be recyclable to simplify the system? Yeah, and that's a big take home of the book. Towards the beginning, I talk a little bit about the history of marketing, recycling, particularly marketing plastics as recyclable, and really that being a way that the plastics industry used to distract people from other things like plastics plastics reduction laws. Um, And so, you know, people, a lot of Americans, a lot of consumers really feel comfortable with recycling. It gives us kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling when we put something in the recycling bin. But that's really intentional. That was due to a lot of marketing to make us feel good about it. But really, a lot of what my book gets across is a lot of plastics, particularly low-value plastics, really don't have an end market. No one really wants to buy them. And so it's really better to reduce and reuse rather than recycle, especially for those. Really looking, you know, the last couple chapters are about how to reduce and particularly about policy. You know, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a legal associate at the Surfighter Foundation. My day job, I, I, I write plastics reduction policies and waste reduction policies. And one big thing we're working on right now is what they call extended producer responsibility, which is just shifting all the cost of recycling and waste disposal to the manufacturers of all that packaging. Because right now, municipalities are having to pay to have a lot of this low value plastics, like the number, the kind of the higher numbers are, are less recyclable, like number six, all those party cups and things like that. Really, no one wants to buy, and they're having to pay to haul that away, and that's really not fair. So redesigning policy to have those manufacturers have some responsibility and not just produce all this stuff that can't really be recycled in the first place. There are different grades of plastics, and some just don't have a value to be recycled or out there in the first place. Yeah, and only only 9% of plastics ever produced have been recycled. And, you know, that sounds like a shocking number, but it's not very surprising to me just knowing that a lot of this plastic really doesn't have a buyer and therefore isn't going to be recycled into something else. And another thing I try to get across is that plastic isn't just one thing. So there are some resins. So the chasing arrow, little symbol on the block bottom of containers, that's called, that's, those are resin codes. And the plastics industry lobbied to have them put, be required on containers in part because that makes people feel pretty good because they see that little chasing arrow symbol and a lot of people think, oh, that means it's recyclable, but it's really just a just a resin code. It's just telling you what type of plastic that container is made from. And as a general rule, the lower numbers are more recyclable, meaning they're more likely to have a buyer versus the higher numbers. And uh, I did some research and the only ones that really have a very reliable market are number one and number two bottles and jugs. So those are things like plastic water bottles, shampoo bottles, plastic milk jugs. And the number two in particular, that is those are worth about a thousand dollars a ton right now on the commodities market versus 
what we call kind of everything else. So three through sevens, kind of all the other plastic, is only worth about negative $17 a ton. That means you have to pay somebody to haul that away. And so that's really not what people think of when they think of recycling. So I'm really trying to open people's eyes to kind of this being a commodities market, not just kind of a feel-good enterprise. Are majority of those plastics that are out there, are they in the three through seven category? Yeah, most of them are in the three through seven category. And so I would hope, or part of the goal with over the policy shift and holding producers responsible is that they would be incentivized if they're paying for at the back end for the disposal and recycling to make make all this packaging out of really truly recyclable material in the first place. So that's really where I want to see it go. And I also really want to see refill and reuse systems because right now, you know, we don't have many choices. We buy products with a lot of packaging, but if we could shift, how it can incentivize financially incentivize companies to shift to refill and reuse systems, like being able to buy your soda or beer in a bottle that then instead of being recycled is cleaned and refilled and sent back to stores. So I think that's really where, where we want to go. Are the incentives changing in that direction? Do you think uh, there can be a push such that the consumer then has that choice? Yeah, well, I've spent a lot of time working on state and local laws. And then last year, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act was introduced at the federal level. Um, and that, that, that was reintroduced this year and does include some incentives and, and mandates for reuse and refill policies. So I think it's something we're going to be hearing a whole lot more about. And companies are starting to come to the table because they see that this legislation is really gaining momentum. So hopefully we can start seeing a lot more of that, those shifts. For individuals that are out there that are concerned about this, what would you recommend they do in terms of reducing their own footprint and promoting these changes? Yeah, it's personal solutions are a huge part of this in addition to policy. So, you know, and I think really emphasizing bringing your own everything. <laughs> so I talk about bringing your own, not just bag, but once you're comfortable with that, bringing your own water bottle, bringing your own cup, bringing your own utensils. When you can, modeling that behavior for others. So, you know, I do things like bring my own container to get takeout food when I can. Or I talk about, in my book, I talk about maybe bringing your own cup to a party where you know there's going to be single-use plastic cups being used, just to kind of start that conversation and get other people interested in it. So I think that, you know, we not we need policy change. We also need that to start with individuals a lot of the time. So I think that's really important. And things like right now with people getting so much takeout and delivery, making sure that you're not getting those extra utensils whenever you're ordering, because those are, are sadly not recyclable. <laughs> It's not just a U.S. problem. It's a global problem. A lot of our waste that we can't use goes elsewhere, and other countries, of course, have to deal with their own issues. How much of a global issue is this becoming? Yeah, it's a huge global issue, and I, I want people to think of recycling and waste reduction as not just an environmental issue, but also a humanitarian issue. Because when we're shipping our low-value plastic waste abroad, which we've been doing a long for a long time to China, and they've closed their doors now. It's kind of their doors, and it's kind of going other places now. But for the most part, there are a lot less environmental labor regulations in in these in these countries, and so we're shipping our waste abroad and having it become their problem. And a lot of the time, that means that it's being handled by people without proper protections. 
and then kind of cherry-picked and the remainder dumped into the environment, the waterways and burned. And, you know, that's not what people think of when they think of recycling. And so we have some policy mechanisms that are at play, like to try to have that not technically count as being recycled if it's being shipped abroad. And there's a, the Basel Convention has a new plastic waste amendment to regulate that. Unfortunately, the U.S. is not signed on, but that's another thing to really pay attention to and to have like public pressure to not ship our waste abroad and to really think of it as being a humanitarian thing. Or reading the book, what would you like to really take home regarding the issue of recycling? Yeah, and I will say, you know, it's an illustrated book for adults. Uh, they're watercolor, beautiful illustrations. It's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> and so there are, I try to highlight the positive things that are happening in addition to talking about some of the not so great things. But my main take home is that I want people to look at that recycling, not as just, you know, putting something in your curbside bin and hoping for the best. But learning a little bit more about the system and looking at it as that that item needs to be able to turn be turned into something else in order to be truly called recyclable. Um, so, you know, I'd like a lot of individuals to learn a lot more about it and then hopefully get into the hands of some legislators and really make some policy changes as well. All right. We were just talking with Ms. Jenny Romer. She's author of the new book, Can I Recycle This? A Guide to Better Recycling and how to reduce single-use plastics. Ms. Romer, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.